0: Good morning. Again, thank you for being here today on The Battles Within as we continue our study in the life of Jesus entitled, Who is Jesus? This is our session number nine. We continue in part B of the learning about John and the baptism of John and how that we will see how that is very important in the life of Jesus and how it, it, it led to be allowing Jesus to be You know, the uh, identifying who he was and laying the foundation that uh, he could build upon for his, he was supposed to come and prepare the way. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we're so thankful we had this opportunity that we can come, that we can share in this medium even though sickness may be around us and, and, and sometimes it's, it's uh, not comfortable being in locations when we have a, a pandemic like we have now going on or other things. And we, we pray, Lord, for that situation. We thank you, Lord, though, for the medium that you provided us, that we can still proclaim your truth, that we can still preach the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would help us now in this lesson and this study as we dig into your words, That not be the words that David Barber has, but it would be the words that the Holy Spirit has, that we can hear it, that we can sense it, that, Lord, our your Spirit would speak to our spirit. I pray, Lord, for those who are battling sickness here around the world today, both in uh, uh, America and around the world, and in our community, and in our church, Lord, even specifically those who are struggling with this uh, pandemic that we're experiencing. I pray for them, Lord, that you would send a healing touch upon them, And Lord, uh, comfort the family as they uh, uh, try to assist and the isolation that's involved in this, Lord. I pray for that. I pray, Lord, also for those who are sick for other reasons. Lord, I know I have some relatives who have heart conditions and others that have some surgery. And uh, Lord, I pray for them. I'm praying for them every day. But Lord, I lift them up now before you. I pray, Lord, I know you care about what we care about. Lord, I know you, you're you concerned about our concerns. So I pray earnestly, Lord, for that right now. Again, we thank you for all you do for us. We pray, Lord, now that you bless this word, that it be your word, not my word. For it's in the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for being here today. We're going to jump right in. This is our second part of uh, the, the, uh, of our session entitled Jesus's Baptism. And uh, we are studying in the we continue to shift that gear as we've shifted now from the first gear of Jesus' life that was covering his uh, infancy, his birth, his infancy. But now we're shifting gears to his next ministry. But before we do, we have to bring on this character, this person that laid the foundation, that was supposed that was foretold to be coming, and that was John the Baptist. We began our study last week of John the Baptist, and this week we're going to continue on. And uh we'll see John and Jesus' first encounter. So if you would get your Bibles and look at Luke chapter one, beginning with verse 36 and 37. And Luke writes, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Now, remember, this is the same type of message from the angel for telling the birth of Jesus, including the book of John. So in the same message that that Mary got, concerning her being, uh, uh, the mother of Jesus was the message to her that her cousin Elizabeth also conceived a son in her old age. Now, Mary's notice there was a difference. There's a difference. Both of them were miraculous births, no doubt. Uh, but Mary is informed that, that Just as your conception of Jesus is a miracle of God, so is your cousin Elizabeth. Now Mary had what was called an immaculate conception. It only took place one time. It was only possible one time. God instilled in Mary his essence, and she became pregnant with Jesus. Without an earthly father, his father was the Holy Spirit, the Heavenly Father. Uh, We know that Jesus did not have a beginning or an end. The the God Jesus did not have a beginning end because God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one. We talked about this in the Trinity. Go back and look at one of the previous sessions on the Trinity, and you'll see that 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 they are one. They've always been. In the beginning was the Word, the word was God, the Word was God. Same as the beginning with God. So we know that there is never a beginning of Jesus. But there was a beginning of the Jesus the man. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and 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 impregnated her, and she gave birth to a son, a man that was named Jesus. Now, this man was also God, 100% God, 100% man, that's 200%, yep, you're right, exactly Is how can you explain it? I can't explain that, don't know, I don't need to know if I need to explain it, my mind can't explain a lot of things. How do you make a tree? I don't know. How do you have air that has molecules, yet we don't see it? I don't know. I can't. There's lots of things I can't. How do you feel wind? I, I don't know. I, I can't explain. There's lots of things in life I can't explain. But I'm thankful that God gave us His word so that we understand it by trusting His word. Uh, faith is some things hope for the evidence things not seen. So I mean, you know, I believe air is available, but I can't see it. I feel it going in my lungs. I feel it exhaling out of, my, out of my lungs, out of my throat, to my nose. I feel it, so I know it exists. I don't have to see it. I have faith in it. Anyway, we see that Mary had an immaculate conception, but Elizabeth also had a miracle, uh, 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 making it humanly possible for this lady who was well past, it says she was well past childbirth years so i mean that could be i mean i don't know that i don't know if i've seen anybody uh give a age estimate of of elizabeth other than say that she was well past the childbearing years her and her husband both were old it was evidently so old that it was a miracle in anybody's mind to see Elizabeth. It wasn't like a, a an, an older pregnancy. You know, in our society today, we can have women in their 50s having babies. It happens. I don't know if any women in their 60s are having babies, but I guess it's possible. But let's say that was the case, Then Elizabeth would be in her 70s or 80s. Because it says, well stricken in years. I mean, she was really old. Yet here she becomes pregnant. And Mary hears this exciting news and decides to travel um, and no doubt help her with her pregnancy because she figured she would understand, be able to communicate with Elizabeth things that she could not share with other people. Because they both were mentioned by the same angel. So we'll look at verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into the city of Judah. Now, the word in those days, shortly after hearing the news of Elizabeth, Mary had to go check it out for herself. She had to go check it out for herself. No doubt she needed someone to talk to about what went on, you know, about what was going on with her. And here was someone who could share in this experience at least to a certain degree. Now, interesting enough, remember, Mary was pretty young, but uh, the hill says she traveled to the hill country. This is the region around about Jerusalem. And probably in the city of Hebron, um, that would be true because this was a city given to the tribe of Levi and would be where the priest's family would have lived. And remember, Zechariah was a priest. It's about 70 miles from Nazareth. And so, with her only being about 14 years of age at the time, probably traveling in a group, you know, which was typical of what they would do. They would travel in a caravan of some type going that way. Luke doesn't spend any time on the details because it's an uneventful trip. I mean, you know, uh, just they traveled from Nazareth to to, uh, where Elizabeth was at. Verse 40, and entering into the house of Zachariah, and saluted Elizabeth. So she went to the house. Luke mentions, by the way, Luke mentions this salutation, this greeting, three times in verse 40, 41, and 44. And since Mary was younger and not as superior as Elizabeth, she initiates the greeting. You know, she comes into the house and that was their custom, you know. So uh, Elizabeth, Mary greets uh, Elizabeth. We don't know exactly what the salutation is. But we know that she said something. We know it was important because, again, it was, said, it was mentioned three times. So she said something to her, but again, it was a it was just a, a salutation. And uh, look at verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now again, we don't know what the content was of Mary's greetings, but remember, Gabriel, the angel, told Zacharias that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 1:15, if you remember, said, "For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink." And listen to this, "And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb." So that means the Holy Spirit would be dwelling within John even as a baby. Those people who are aborting babies today and say that they're not human, they don't know what they're talking about. The Bible clearly teaches us that the baby is a person. John was a person in his mother's womb, and the Holy Spirit was possessing him. The Holy Spirit was already there. We as Christians, the Holy Spirit possesses us. If you're saved, the moment you're saved, the moment instantaneously you believe, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. He changes your DNA, because you're no longer like your father, the devil. Now you're like your father, the Holy Spirit. You're like your your father Jesus. You're like your father, the Holy the, the God the Father. You're like them. They control your DNA, or they and you don't don't allow things to be against your nature. See, as a sinner, your nature is to sin. Your father is the devil. To sin is natural for you to do. I always say this, the the, safe, the lost people you can't trust because their nature is not right. They don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them. Their DNA is about their father, the devil. That doesn't mean they're good people who are lost. they are good people who are lost, but you can't trust them because their DNA has a flaw. Those that are saved... That are truly saved, their DNA is different. Now, for us to sin as a Christian is odd. It's against our nature. See the difference? A sinner not to sin is against their nature. A Christian to sin is against their nature. So there's two different things. You're a new creature. Anyway, we see here that the Holy Spirit is possessing, is already in John, even in the mother's womb. I, I, we know that he was probably uh, somewhere six months along. So clearly, he already had thought processes because they've already done studies that say, I believe I've seen a study that says the spine is connected at like 18 weeks and they can feel pain. So, those people who abort babies after a certain number of weeks understand you're hurting the baby, you are causing harm. To that baby, that infant. It's amazing. These are the same people that wouldn't want to kill a tree, but yet they can kill a human being. It's a terrible thing we live in today. But I digress. And it says that uh we see that uh uh we, we talk about it. so this that it notice it said though again go back down to the verse. When Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, the baby himself leaped. When he heard the voice of Mary, it said, when he heard the voice of Mary. See, the Holy Spirit knew who Mary was, clearly. He's God. (laughs) He knew that Mary contained the essence of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He knew that when he heard, when he heard, remember, that they're one. And when he heard her voice, he knew who was there. And the Holy Spirit, it says, uh, uh, filled Elizabeth. And the Holy Spirit within John leaped with joy. Remember, the Holy Spirit's one person just like Jesus and God the Father. They're three in one. It's not not something that they're going to paint you with a brush or put a tattoo on you or give you a little shot of adrenaline. The Holy Spirit is the person. You either got him or you don't. You can't get a little of the Holy Spirit. either got him or you don't have him. Now people say, hold on, I don't understand. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll explain it to you simple enough. There's three forms of sanctification. The first stage of sanctification is called positional sanctification. That means at the moment you are saved, you are set apart. The Holy Spirit sets you apart and you get it all. You get everything the Holy Spirit has to give you on that same day. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God in your life to change your life completely. You're a new creature. You don't get part of the Holy Spirit. You get it all. That's the positional sanctification. Now, there's something else we call progressive sanctification. That means as you live your Christian life, as you study God's Word, you find ways to surrender your flesh more to him because you're being led by the Holy Spirit and you give up those things that you become habited because sin is a habit and we have to fight against those sin. The flesh, Paul said the good I would do, I, not, I would do it not and the bad I would not do, that I do. See, progressive sanctification is the process by which we continue to allow the Holy Spirit living within us to take control. I've heard it said we must empty our cup so that he can fill it. So we have to get rid of those things. That's progressive sanctification. And then finally there's called perfect sanctification. That's when you are saved. When, you're, when you die, you are then in the presence of God and all that old sinful stuff is gone. Now you are perfectly sanctified, set apart for God. So we know you have the Holy Spirit. Um. Now, remember, if John had the Holy Spirit and he had the presence of Godhead of the Holy Spirit inside of him, then one of the attributes of God is omniscience, right? All-knowing. Clearly, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, could easily sense the second person of the Trinity when he walked into the room. I, I mean... He clearly could. So the Holy Spirit sits the Holy sits Jesus in the room and leap with joy. See, God wants to be with the Trinity. That was one of the things when we get to this point that we'll have to struggle with, and I have to do some more studying on because it's a difficult thing to understand. How could God forsake Jesus? How can the Trinity turn his back on Jesus? Being that they're one. So we'll get there when we get there. But the point was, they won't communion with each other. Jesus prayed without ceasing, constantly in communion with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Constantly in union. They don't do things apart from each other. They're one. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit and Jesus walks into the room, they're one. And they leap with joy. The, the, this passage, by the way, demonstrates that John was influenced by the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He leaped. He leaped as a result of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit caused him to leap. The Holy Spirit can cause you to leap in life. The Holy Spirit can control your life just like he did John's. John was controlled by the Holy Spirit in his life from his mother's womb. You know, some believe now, interesting enough, that John repented in his mother's womb. You know, how can anyone yield to the Spirit, they say, without turning away from the flesh? Some believe that John sensed Jesus present as being something greater than himself. You know, they said in John's own tiny way, some would say he repented turned from himself and embraced the idea that outside was someone greater. Uh, and they say this is the reason why the baby had great joy. Said so John said that he was in the presence of someone uh, uh, someone greater and someone that felt very good. They, they use the thing they say later in life that he uses the phrase, I am not worthy to untie your shoes gives an indication of what he felt when he was in the mother's womb. Some would say, therefore, that believe they believe John emotionally turned from himself and embraced the presence of Christ as greater. And they said that's called repentance. Let me tell you, I do not agree with that at all. I thought about it, I prayed about it, and I tell you what God told me. I don't agree with that. You see, salvation requires an acknowledgement of one's sin. Children, especially those in the mother's womb, had no sin. They're truly innocent. That's innocent blood that people are shedding today through abortion. is innocent blood. Innocent blood. Blood not worthy to be sacrificed. Innocent blood. But to be to, for repentance to occur, then there had to be sin. There was no sin in the life of a the baby. There, there's, no, there's no repentance can be given. Uh, confession is required. There's no way that a baby could confess uh, unless you view that the leaping in the mother's womb was a sign of confession. Simply put, I believe this passage shows us that the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the life of John, even while his mother's womb, and therefore this Holy Spirit would play a significant factor in the life of John even before he was born. So, um, let me just say all I do know. What I do know is that the Bible teaches us that John had the Holy Spirit and that that he rejoiced when he came into the presence and contact with Mary who was carrying Jesus. I know that for sure. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, uh, it's interesting, you must remember that the baby John remained in Christ's presence continuously for three months, right? Luke 1.56 says, And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Um, now, You can correctly interpret that as saying spirit-filled baby John, who leaped for joy when initially encountered Christ, remained in the presence of Christ for three months, right? The spirit-filled baby John that leaped with joy when he first encountered Christ, stayed in the presence of Christ for three months, no doubt changing his life forever, even in the mother's womb. I I can only imagine how affected John the Baptist as how this affected John the Baptist as he remained in the presence of the Almighty God, but he possessed the Almighty God. (laughs) Uh, You know, many years later, um, I believe that this is where John said when he saw Jesus, no doubt his spirit within him leaped again, and he said, uh, one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. See, he knew his unworthiness and when he was born, because the Holy Spirit revealed him to him. So now let's look at the birth of John. Luke 1, 57 and 60, and then verse 80. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercies upon her, and they rejoiced with her. So we see Elizabeth delivers the miracle baby. This was a miracle that was recognized by the family and neighbors. People knew this old woman having a baby was a miracle. There's no way they recognize it as a miracle. Elizabeth Zachariah was now now completed. they also they recognized that this was a blessing of God because they now this barren woman who lived her life with shame for not having any children now in her senior twilight years, now has a son, not just a baby but a son um. This was seen as a miraculous gift of God. Nobody doubted it. Friends and families, anybody in the community, remember that. So then we see verse 59 through 64. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of the father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have called him, have him called. And he asked asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed and he spake and praised God. Now, let's look at this passage a little bit. So, yes, custom and requirements. John was taken by his parents to the temple and was circumcised and named on the eighth day. Just like Jesus was. Now, the practitioner called the name of the baby Zacharias after the father. But the mother said, no, 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 no. His name will be called John. Remember, that's what the angel said. You're going to call his name John. Now, John was not a name that the family, in that family, and that would have been highly unusual to name a child after somebody not in your family. So the practitioner then went to the father. And uh, uh, But the father obviously remembers Zachariah still couldn't speak because the angel shut his mouth because of his unbelief. And so they gave him something to write on. And he wrote on the tablet, his name is John. Not will be John, but his name is John. See, no doubt Zechariah already witnessed the Holy Spirit moving in the child in the in his wife's womb. He was obviously there during the time that Mary was there. So so, so uh, Zechariah already knew this is John. His name is John, not will be called John. His name is John. <laughs> John has been around now for a while. See, babies are people. And there's nothing wrong with naming the person, naming the baby, especially today that we can do and tell you the sex of the child. There's nothing wrong with naming my daughter, name uh, 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 is Emma, and we named her Emma once we knew she was Emma. We already knew what her name was going to be. We called her Emma Grace. We already knew that. We named her that. She was Emma Grace, and she was coming. So she was already because she's already a person. My son Austin, Austin Tyler. We named him. He was named when we knew who he was. He was already named. We knew what his name was going to be. Uh, uh, the the point is, they're they're there. They're already. They can be named. They're not baby. They're a person and therefore deserve a name. So anyway, he said his name is John. Now once John demonstrated his faith, once Zechariah demonstrated his faith in the passage um, by writing that information and declaring that his name is John, as Gabriel told him, his voice came back to him instantly, immediately. And the first thing he does is praise God. The first thing that Zechariah does after getting his voice back is praise God. Now you can read that, and uh, again, we're not going to cover the prayers, the praise of Zechariah, but Zechariah has a great praise that he praised of God. Now let's look at the result of John's birth. Luke 1, 65 and 66 it says, And fear came upon all that dwelled around them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard him laid up laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And then verse 8, he says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. See, the first thing we see, that fear fell upon these people. They recognized that this was God at work. When people truly see the work of God, it drives them to fear Him because of their sinfulness. When we see God, our sin becomes in front of our face and we fall on our face before God. We are unworthy to be in His presence. And so when they see a miracle, it instantly gives them fear of God because if we Those who, I've heard it said this way, those who love God the most, fear him the most. This is a fear that says we fear him because we see our weaknesses. We see our sin. We see our unworthiness. Praise be to God that Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that God doesn't see us. When he hears our prayers, he sees Jesus in us. Therefore, our prayers are go, Paul, as Paul said, we can go boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus, lives within us. Everyone in that community who heard and experienced these events wondered, it said, at what this child would become. They wondered. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with him. People saw John. Um, People who saw John grew knew that God was directing his path. This child was different from the beginning. Question is, can people see the hand of the Lord in your life? Can people see a difference? Can people see that the Holy Spirit is driving you? They saw it in the life of John. There was no question about it. John was being driven by the Holy Spirit. Are you being driven by the Holy Spirit? Is the things you do in life shine light upon it? Now let's go to the last part. We've got a few minutes to cover this, and I'm only going to get started on this today. But we're going to cover a little bit about the ministry of John. What was his ministry? And then we'll see next week, we'll see his encounter, and we'll see the hopefully the baptism of Jesus and finish up this part of our study but but today we want to finish up this study today we're talking about the ministry of John go to Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea in those days Now this is a general term that really doesn't tell you anything specific about the time period but does signify to you that it is historical in some way, right? In those days. It says came John the Baptist. John was specified by the use of Baptist. It wasn't he wasn't named originally John the Baptist. He was named John. The angel didn't say name him John the Baptist. He said name him John. But now we see John has got a, a we have a, we have a, uh, 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 pro, uh, uh, an adjective attached to him, the Baptist, John the Baptist, it describes John as a person who baptizes. Now, let's look at that just a minute. Jews already knew what baptism was. This was really nothing different. The Jews had used cleansing as a purification process for those who needed spiritual cleansing. So if they needed spiritual cleansing, they went and got baptized. Before we could go worship, they would ritually immerse themselves. This wasn't necessarily for hygiene or cleanliness, but for spiritual purity. They cleansed themselves as a sign of cleaning their purity. One would make yourself pure so that you could go into the presence of deity. Uh, you could worship. You could offer sacrifices. That was the reason why they were baptized. So long as Christians developed the so long before Christians developed the idea of baptism, before Christianity developed the idea of baptism, Jews have been practicing ritual cleansing and immersion in the form of entering into the Milka and immersing themselves and then emerging from that purified. They were, they were already baptizing themselves. They were purifying themselves. They were cleansing away the, 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 the filth of this world so they could go boldly before the temple of God, the essence. They could put aside, they could cleanse themselves, uh, uh, ritually speaking, already. Uh, it was later on used by the Jews to uh, as part of a process when they converted Gentiles into Judaism. They would go through the process of baptizing the Gentile into Judaism. It was a sign of entering into this new covenant, this new relationship with God. Doesn't that sound like baptism today? Needless to say the Jews had no problem at all with what John was doing. and a matter of fact, it was seen as a needed effort by everybody that heard him. Who today does not need to be cleansed? I do, don't you? Don't we need a daily cleansing from God? Don't we need a daily purging of our sins? Don't we need a daily, well, maybe, so I don't, I'm not in favor of baptism but one time. I don't think you need to be baptized again. Uh, I think that's what Jesus told Peter. You don't need to be baptized all over again. You just need your feet washed. You need to be cleansed uh, from your daily walk, but you don't need to be submerged again. So I'm not in favor of that, by the way. Uh, because I think that that's, I think you're baptized one time, and, and to get baptized again would say you question your baptism, you question your salvation. And I don't think that's God's intent for us. Now, if you were baptized before you weren't saved, then baptism clearly would be something you'd want to do because your baptism before meant nothing. It was an outward sign for no reason. Anyway, needless to say, the Jews had no problem with that. As a result of this call to purity, uh, the the purity, as it's called the purity by John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is a hand, right? The crowd felt God. John was a godly man bringing a message from God. So as a whole, the community accepted John. Interesting enough, they accepted John and his ministry. They believed that John was a man of God because he preached repentance, and they all recognized their sin. The Holy Spirit, working through John, convicted people of their sin. It says he was preaching. The word preaching means to proclaim. That's why I say we're all preachers of the gospel, or should be. We should all proclaim the truth the difference between being a pastor by the way and being a preacher. We're all preachers of the gospel. we're all called to proclaim the truth of God's word wherever we go. Uh, the Greek word is used for preaching is typically associated with a place and not people. So in your word you see preaching here could mean that he was in a location proclaiming the word. Okay, he was in a location proclaiming words. So when people go to church and they hear preaching, they went to hear preaching as a location. They went to, that, so they went, to, it's a typically use of a place and not people. Uh, this led to more evangelistic effort than the other phrase that could mean teaching when directed at someone you had a personal relationship with. So John was proclaiming a message to the crowd who for the most part, he did not personally know in a location, an area known as Judea. So John was preaching. He was at a location. He was proclaiming the truth in the wilderness of Judea. This was the wilderness John preached in, is precisely desert. He was preaching in the desert. It wasn't precisely desert, but it was, it was on the outskirt. It was a deserted place. It was out away from the city, in the wilderness of Judea. So there was no doubt places for, for water, clearly. Uh, there was places for uh, the food that he ate, and we'll talk about that later on. Uh, this wilderness of Judea is kind of a vaguely defined area It includes the lower Jordan Valley, north of the Dead Sea, and the country immediately west of the Dead Sea. That was the area in which John was doing his preaching. Now, this was also very, very hot, and apart from the Jordan itself, mostly arid, though not unpopulated. In other words, it wasn't necessarily the greatest farming community, but there was some vegetation, there was some water but it was a wilderness. It wasn't a place you're gonna see a lot of people go to to put their houses down, build their families. And there, there were some people, but limited because it could not sustain the the land could not sustain large groups of people. It was definitely not used. Uh, it was used in some ways as pasture land because there was some vegetation and some of the sheep. You know, some of those animals could eat anything. Now, interesting enough, zealots also used the desert as a hiding place. Well, sure, it was sparsely populated, so they could go out there and do things. Uh, this Some brought some questions to John's ministry, as seen as by some of the questions asked him by the religious crowd later on. There was zealots out there. Zealots were people, remember, that, were, that would do whatever they did for religious causes, but they were fanaticals. And they caused troubles, and they were concerned that John was among the zealots, people that were fighting against the established religion and the established uh, 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 government. And they would go out there and hide in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 says, And this was the message that John gave, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, saying, Repent ye, repent ye. For the kingdom of heaven. John Messon was a call to repentance. Now, something that repentance is mostly about feelings, you know, about feeling sorry for your sin. I feel sorry. yeah, And, and yes, you should, you should feel sorry for your sin. But repentance is not about feeling sorry for your sin, but it's an action word. You know, you can feel sorry. I could feel sorry for somebody, but never helped them. Then I didn't help them. I felt sorry for them, I had empathy for them, but I didn't help them. And if I don't help them, then I'm not, I didn't do anything. I just felt sorry. Repentance is an action verb. Repent means to do something, not to feel something. John told his listeners to change the mind, not merely the feeling for what they had done, but to change their mind. Change your mind. When you change your mind, it's like if you decide you want to go on a diet. You can say, I think we need to go on a diet. I feel we need to go on a diet. I know we need to go on a diet. But until you go on a diet, you're not on a diet. Until you change the way you eat, you're not on a diet. And John was telling his listeners that they need to change their mind. The battle is within the mind. You know, that's the name of our ministry. The battle is within. See, the battle is within. The battle for the soul is within us. It's not the world. It doesn't what the world does to you. is how you respond to what the world's doing. It's how you respond to God. It's how you respond to sin. It's how you respond to the reading of a word of God. It's how you respond to the action that God. The battle's within us. That's the name of our ministry, right? The battle's within. But we see John was telling them the battle's within them. Repent ye. Repentance speaks of a change of direction and not just a sorrow in sin. Now, uh, is repentance something we must do uh before we can come to God, yes, the first step in coming to God is to recognize your sin and the need to turn from that sin. you got to recognize you're a sinner. That's why I said John could not have been saved in the womb because he had no sin. And how could he recognize something he didn't have? Now, without that ret- determination to repent for your sin, there can be no turning from God. you got to get somebody lost before they can get found. Simple enough. The call to repentance is essential and must not be neglected. It is entirely accurate to say that it is the first word of the gospel. Let's look at that. Repent was the first word of John's baptism gospel. Matthew 3, 1 and 2 we just saw. Repentance was the first word of Jesus' gospel. Matthew 4, 14 and Mark 1, 14 through 15. Repentance was the first word in the preaching of the ministry of the twelve disciples. In Mark chapter 6, verse 12. Repentance was the first word in the preaching instruction Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection. In Luke 24, verse 46 through 47. Repent was the first word of exhortation in the early Christian sermon in Acts 2, verse 38. Repent was the first word in the apostle Paul's mouth throughout his ministry. We see repentance, repent is the key word in the kingdom of God to get Christians right. We must repent of our sin. That's a turning away of our actions. For the he says, why? Why must you repent? John said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. God wanted people to know that the kingdom of heaven was near, Uh, as close as your hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. It wasn't as distant or as dreamy as they imagined. This is why John was so urgent in his call to repentance. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then we must get ready now. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we must get ready now. See, John's main message wasn't, you're a sinner you need to repent. John's main message was the Messiah, the King, is coming. (laughs) If the King is coming, you got to get ready. Church time comes and you go to church, you got to get ready. I always tell my my wife and daughter, hey, we got to leave. We got to get ready. We got to go. We got to get ready. The Messiah was coming. we got to get ready. The call to repentance was the response to the news that the king and his kingdom were coming. Indeed, already here in one sense. As close as your hand, he said. uh, Some theologians see a difference between uh, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in the terms used in Mark and Luke. You know, the idea that the kingdom of God is now present, spiritual kingdom, still the kingdom of heaven refers to the coming millennial. There's two things, right? The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, they're not really different because you see the, we believe that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are one and the same. God's presence is now. Now, yeah, there'll come a day when the millennial reign of Christ comes and establishes his earthly kingdom here on earth. But for us, the kingdom of heaven doesn't, that doesn't mean anything for us. What it means for us is the kingdom of heaven today. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you can't wait for the millennial reign of Christ. You can't wait for some further event. Today is the day of salvation. John said, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand today. Don't wait for the years down in the future. Don't think it's coming in the future. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preached it is near. Jews spoke of the Messiah as the coming one, the the, the messianic age as the coming age. John says it's now dawn near. The same message preached by Jesus and his disciples. It is now here in front of you. John says, now is the time. So we see, the message that John preached is, we're going to look at this verse and we're going to close because our time is up. The verse said again, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message to his people, to the Jews, and his message to you and me today is repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There is no hope, no promise for tomorrow. If you're not saved today, John's message is crying out from these pages. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're not saved today, I pray that you would repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Ask God to save you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and will convert you and will change your DNA. You will now be a child of God and not a child of Satan. You will now be led by the Spirit and not by the the devil. The Holy Spirit wants to save you. God wants to save you. Jesus wanted to save you so much, he died on the cross for your sins while you were yet a sinner. John says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Next week, we're going to be talking about continuing on in the life and the ministry of John the Baptist, seeing his ministry and its effect and who, how he relates to Jesus and preparing the way for Jesus and hopefully the baptism of Jesus. But today's message, listen to it. John said, Repent ye. For the kingdom of heaven is the hand. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for your mighty word. I pray, Lord, that we all repent. Even those of the Lord that know you as our Savior. We need to repent. We need to turn from our evil, wicked ways. Things, Lord, that we allow the world to to hamper us. to, to, To get us from not being what we ought to be. Allowing us to be less than you want us to be. Let us repent ye. Lord, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lord, we need to share with others that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now. It's ready. There's no promise of tomorrow. I pray, Lord, right now that you would help us as Christians to get off our laurels and start preaching the word, proclaiming the word, telling others about you. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Tell them to repent. Do the message of John. Allow the Holy Spirit in us to lift us up, to make us leap with joy when we hear the Spirit of God, when we see the Spirit, when we read his word. I pray, Lord, right now that you would speak to the lives of these Christians who are listening to this message today. That today would be a new beginning, a new day where they seek someone out this week to share the gospel with. Lord, I pray for those who might be listening who are lost. Lord, I just say to them, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn, ask Jesus to save you, he will. Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will guide your way. I thank you, Lord, for your great mercy and for your salvation. In the name of Jesus, amen. I thank you so much for your time and your attention. I really do. This has been a great message today. I do appreciate what you do by uh, helping this ministry, by being here. I pray that you would get out there now and tell someone about Jesus. Repent you yourself. Repent ye of your sins so that you might be the type of Christian that can lead others to him. I thank you for your time. I pray now that uh, uh, you have a great Lord's Day. And join us next time as we continue on in this study in the life of Who is Jesus?